All right, good morning. Welcome once again. And um, I said it's hard to believe that we're closing down another year and we've uh, covered a lot of bases through this year as we've been working on ourselves and looking how we're supposed to interact with God and how we need to troubleshoot ourselves and and uh, look into from within look at our problems and uh, hopefully that's been very informative and it's something that we're definitely going to be revisiting because we can't just get everything in, in one go of it and uh, we're in in much need just in the past couple days I've just seen some things that's it's very disheartening and uh, one is that, that people are now protesting evangelistic Christianity that um, they're saying it's it's toxic now that our religious freedoms is putting a danger to the world as a whole because of how we view the world and how we feel that, that God will take care of things and we want to have our religious freedoms and there's another group that says no, that our religious freedoms should not be protected, that the good of the world should be take precedence and that we can't go forward with things like, like mandates and vaccines if we have people using religious exemptions. And we know that God is the ultimate healer. We know that God is the ultimate protection, that we don't need any of these man-made things because God has everything in control. But once again, Satan wants to take hold. Satan wants to cast shadow on the light. And he wants to block what God is doing. He wants to deceive you. He wants to lie to you. And tell us that the ways of the world is correct and these things are, are outdated. And then to go along with this, I've seen that there is a brand new revision of the Bible. And uh, so I was interested in what we were going to revise. And uh, they, they wanted to change a lot of the wording. In fact, 20,000... Updates, 20,000. And uh, this is the, the standard revised edition, and it's a new version of that. And the really disheartening portion of it is, is that this is the most common book that is used in seminary worldwide. So we're going to take a already changed version of Word of God, and we're going to make an additional 20,000 changes to it. And then uh, look into some of the details of the revision, and it's things like removing the word sin in many different instances, and changing it with purification. Because as a world... We think there's more things that we need to be 
purified from. And that sin makes it too pacific. And sin is too harsh. Imagine that. The Word of God telling us that sin is too harsh for us to understand that we need to do something different. It changes some of the ways that we interact with the people. They change their description. So, we may not see that there was a slave girl, but we may see something that was a servant woman. Because they feel like that these people need to have a more boldness to their character and need to be more emphasized. And we need to cut back on the way some of these this language changes our perception of these people. God's word is the way he intended it. And every time man decides to go in and manipulate that, he is manipulating the word of God, which the word clearly tells us not to do. So, no matter what the world says, I'm going to stick with my old King James. The world is drastically gaining traction. The shadows, the walls are closing in. And we have to realize that we, when I say we, People listening today, when I say we, I mean believers. When I say we, I say my fellow Christians that we are a source of a lot of these problems. Because we have went along with so much. Because we have allowed things to happen. That we have allowed ideas and thoughts and feelings to mold what we are doing. That we are not the examples that we need to be. That our churches are not strong. So we need to start making changes. English language is funny. You know, we can take and add a few letters to something and we can change what it means. We can take the word race. And we can add ISM to the back of it, ism. And we call it racism. And we turn it into a a, a negative thing. And uh, we can do the same thing with age, ageism. We can do the same thing with sex, sexism. And we can discriminate based on color, based on gender, based on age, among other things. But I'm going to add one more to the the mix today that uh, you probably haven't heard of, probably because it's really not a real word yet. We're going to talk about grace-ism. Now, grace is a good thing, so how do we turn it into a bad thing by adding the I-S-M, the ism? First of all, let's look at Luke 5, 27. Jesus calls Levi, and these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi 
sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great company of publicans and others that sat down with them. And their scribes and Pharisees mothered against his disciples, saying, Why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answered, saying unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You ever felt like the Pharisees? And you say, oh, wait, no, not me. No, not me. But I'm sure, because we're all human, we're all sinners, at some point in time, we have felt like the Pharisees. Now, let's go back and uh, let's uh, put a little more definition into all of this. Especially if some of you is not quite familiar with this passage and why Jesus would call someone like Levi. See, Jesus had a history of, and God, God has a history of using the unqualified. He likes to take people that don't quite meet the standard according to the world. You know, uh, we get the idea that, let's say, a, a, a preacher, a pastor, they're supposed to be this certain, fit a certain mold. That they're supposed to act and look and do everything a certain way. That is some kind of born destiny that they've had a life where they've came up all the way and everything has been in the glory of God and perfect and they've had a, a godly childhood and they went through the whole process and went through all the schooling and these seminaries that we were talking about that tell us all the right things to do and say and we're supposed to stand up here and act and look a certain way. And then when we find out that we're, we're human, that there's mistakes and past and then we want to push them away. You know, anytime that we see one of the, the big churches and there's some kind of a, a conflict or an issue, then that's, that's front page news. We're just looking for that loose thread to be able to, to pull and let everything else unravel. Mm -hmm. And see, God uses people like this. He used Levi. He was a, a tax collector. And even today, we're not too fond of tax collectors because they're always looking to ways to take and separate us from part of our money. But even that, at this time, people really didn't like the tax collectors because most of them were a little bit dishonest. See, because they had to collect a certain portion which went to the government, but anything they collected above and beyond, they could keep for themselves. 
So, oftentimes, as people do, they would resort to less and savior ways to be able to pad their pockets, increase their wealth. So that wasn't very popular amongst the people. And it's funny that if you just listen, and uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, they say, why do they eat with and drink with publicans and sinners? Why do you eat with sinners? It sounds like they're almost saying, we're not sinners. But yet, the Word of God clearly says that we all are sinners. Because we all need salvation. How many of us get into that mindset that we're not a sinner? That we don't do these things? So we have this idea that we can put everything on a list. That we can categorize things. That we can rank our sin. And then we justify the things that we do. See, we might tell a little white lie. We might cheat a little bit on our taxes. We might do these little things that seem benign. And we justify, well, you know, I have to do this because of this, and I do this because of this. And we justify our actions in our minds. And really all we're doing is covering up our own sin to us. We take and we look at the sins of others and we compare them to our sins. And if their sins is greater than our sins in our mind, then we push them away because they fall below an invisible standard of what we set. And that's a big problem with our churches today. We need to help everyone that's coming in. It's the ones that are spiritually sick that need the word the most. But what do we want? What is our ideal about church recruitment? We're wanting people just like us. We want them to look like us, act like us, know what we know. We want to make a group of non-diversity based on what we already have. So when someone walks in and they look a little different, they act a little different, they think a little different, we don't want no part of that. Or when we're coming in, and this happens so many times, instead of seeing what this group is about and seeing what they are, people want to mold it to what they want.
That's why we have so much division. Things don't agree, we split off. If I don't like something that's going on here, I go somewhere else. And so on and so forth. The bottom line is, we are no more deserving of God's grace than anyone else. There was a, a thief hanging on a cross next to Jesus. Convicted, sentenced, hanging on the cross for his crimes. But yet, he made it to heaven. Why? Because the word tells me that. Jesus himself said, today you will be in paradise. Every one has a chance to repent, to be forgiven, and to be saved. But yet, we let gracism take a hold. And for some reason, we don't apply God's grace to everyone. We don't apply God's love to everyone. We don't think that some things can be forgiven. Even though the world, the word clearly tells us that. And you might say it. You know, how many of us, we want to preach the gospel. We tell how much God loves people. How much God loves us. What all the things that God can do and what the love of Jesus can do and all of these things. We talk about it all the time and we read the scripture and we sing his praises. But then what do we do in action? Oh, well, we don't want to have nothing to do with that person because they had a mistake in their past. We're going to, no matter that it happened all these years ago, no matter that they've repented, no matter that since then they've been nothing but a devotion to God, all that doesn't matter because we are going to judge them on this one infraction. All the while, our list of infractions that we do grow longer each and every day. The only difference is that we don't seem to care about all those because we deem them small, not important, non-existent. But we want to condemn everyone else based on what they have done. What they're capable of. That is gracism. It's amazing how Stubborn and how we do as people because we want to see things a certain way. We look at the lineage of, of Jesus and we want to let's take out certain people because they're mentioned 
in the Word of God, but they're uh, mentioned in a way that doesn't fit our mold of Jesus' perfection. So if someone was a prostitute, oh, that's got to be a different person than what's in the lineage of my Jesus. Because it don't fit the mold. It don't fit my mindset. Because if Jesus can come through the lineage of someone like that, that means that everything that I have based my perception on that puts me on a pedestal above everybody else is false. Because if Jesus can use these people, we don't want to see the flaws. We don't want to see the flaws. Each and every person that's mentioned in this word of God, each and every person that has done great things also have done some not so great things. If they're human, they are flawed. And God, I believe wholeheartedly, has put each and every one of them for us to see there so we can see that. That we can see that everyone, including ourselves, is capable of serving God. Is capable of redemption. Is capable of being saved. You know what else it does? It helps us to understand God's mercy. It helps us to understand God's patience. And it helps us to understand that God sets his laws and that God abides by his laws and he doesn't waver. God is not controlled by feelings. Because let me tell you, if I was in his position and I was looking down and I was seeing everything going today, I'd be shooting down lightning bolts right and left. We'd be seeing pillars of salt. We'd be seeing flood. We'd be seeing fire because I don't have that kind of patience. But God does. When we see evil, we want, why doesn't God put a stop to it? Because he loves them as much as he loves us. And they have that opportunity to repent and turn their lives around. Look at Paul. He was going around. He was persecuting Christians. He was killing people. And he was enjoying what he was doing. He was on a rampage. And with the God interaction, he was turned around and then became a great ally for God. A great tool for God. But we have a problem. Because we are supposed to be a beacon of light. 
We're supposed to be the lighthouse in the harbor. We're supposed to draw the lost in. But how can we do that when they come to the door and they're not welcome? It's like uh, when you go up to, to ride one of the rides, you have that height requirement. Well, if we don't like it, we just draw that chalk line on the wall a little bit higher. We just change the requirements. And it's not based on the Word of God. God tells us to do just the opposite. He tells us to love everyone, He tells us not to judge. But then we consume from within. We try to take down our own. We have church organizations that's a bigger part of something and when one person sees something that they don't agree with with their standards, then they want to consume it within. There's people that's willing to destroy entire churches just so they can feel better about themselves. And that's what it, it boils down to. We want to put down, we want to hurt others we want to judge to make us feel better. Because if we can break them down, it rises us up in our minds. So we can feel better about ourselves. Because in the, there, the, the little things that we do, perceived little things that we do, don't seem as big. Because, oh, well, this person does this. So I'm not that bad. We don't want to be perceived as bad we don't have repenting anymore instead we point fingers we blame someone else all these isms that we were talking about at the beginning yes they all exist but they're also a good excuse for us to not do things for ourselves. We can survive. We can overcome. And yes, there are definitely things that can hold us back. That can make lives harder. But these things are not a one-all, in-all. There has been people of color that's rose to greatness. There has been people of both male and female, the only two genders, that have rose to greatness. There has been people that did extraordinary things at an old age. There has been people that did extraordinary things at young ages. So to say that because of a certain thing that you're saddled with from birth stops 
all forward momentum is ridiculous. Same thing, there's been people just made mistakes, people just had a rough start, people just done things wrong, people that are sinners, that have went on to do great things. But you know, the word, the word also tells us about people that started off strong, but didn't fend that way either. Because things of the world, Satan let them astray. We talked about Adam and Eve last week. Because of one thing that they didn't have. That one thing they didn't have allowed them to throw away everything else. They wanted that one thing they didn't have, the one thing they shouldn't touch, and they throwed away everything else. We have to stand strong. We have to evaluate ourselves and evaluate our environment, evaluate how we worship, what are we worshiping, There's so many churches that are happening this morning throughout the day, throughout the country. And how many of them are speaking God's truth? We look at these mega churches and there's thousands of attendants. And we have to think, what kind of message do you have to deliver that's going to be captivating and not offending so we can keep these numbers? We can keep the, the book deals rolling in. We can keep the, the television program. We can keep all the other little trinkets rolling in to, to maintain the status. They never divide. They never branch out. We should be seeing growth, movement into other places. We're not building an empire. And that's what many things look like today. It's an empire. We get a bigger building, and when that building is full, we expand to it, we expand to it, expand to it. No, let's expand to other places. Let's reach other areas. Let's reach new people. We've lost track of what the goal is. It's not about numbers. It's not about status. It's not about entertainment. It's about saving souls. It's about a relationship with God. When we point the finger and we say, why? Why do you? Why do they? Why do? Why? We got to remember something. We are no different. We are no different. And God doesn't see 
any difference. Sin is sin. God couldn't look upon sin. He had to cover it with the blood of Jesus. That's so He could look upon us again so we could restore that connection. And it didn't matter. So here's how we, we see the truth in all this. Because if, if that was the case, Jesus would only be needed for just a few. Just for the really bad ones. But no, everybody needs Jesus. Everybody. You know, God would have put a little index in here somewhere. And uh, they would have said, well, this is a, a level one, a level two. And you're fine unless you hit level three. Now, if you get a level, level three sin, we got a problem. You're going to have to call upon Jesus. But, you know, the other ones are fine. And that's how we want it to be. We want us to go along and we want to say, well, this is fine. This is fine. Because we're always wanting to push that limit, do all we can get away with, and then be able to do just enough to, to slide by. People don't always fit our mold. But you know what? That's not always a bad thing. Because we're not always doing things the best way. We can learn. We can adapt. Remember, we are the body of Christ. We all have a role to play. And it does no good if we're just a, a group of thumbs. You know, that's how we, we kind of do. We, we all kind of, we gather up. We have the, the thumbs over here and the toes over there and the, the kneecaps there at the church down the road. We need some diversity. We need to be willing to listen. The only way we have a problem is that ideologically does not come from the Word of God. We don't even know anymore what people's idea of God is because we don't even talk about it anymore. Church for many folks has become a, a habit, something we do, something for show, something for entertainment, for social. And that's even becoming less and less. We want to judge. We want to pick and choose. And then what are we doing? We're indoctrinating more and more people to do the same. Instead of being a good example and teaching the truth, we're teaching lies. We are part of the problem. Nobody wants to be one of the isms. I see there's things that we don't even have a, a name for yet. It's not in the dictionary. But yet are we doing it? Does it need to be? Think about it. Think about the, the choices that you make. I was listening to a thing and it was asking what would Jesus think about celebrating his birthday? And it was an interesting listen, perhaps a conversation for another time. We need to start thinking about what would Jesus think about this? What if he was standing there next to you? What if he was standing there in your place? How would Jesus respond to this situation? 
You know, when we're pushing back, when we're discriminating, what would Jesus do? I think we need to bring back them little, bra- them little bracelets. What would Jesus do? 